Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. My name is William Walker, and this show is all about trailblazers and how these leaders and visionaries broke new ground, challenged conventional thinking, and inspired others to follow in their footsteps. After all, Jesus was a trailblazer. So how do we as men live a life as trailblazers and become the leaders we are called to be? Welcome to another episode of the Trailblazer Podcast, where we celebrate men who are making a difference in their world. I'm your host, William Walker, and today we have a very special guest with us, Glenn Lothridge. Glenn got his start in the tech industry, where he managed multiple national accounts in excess of $100 million a year. He also has quite the resume as an entrepreneur. He has started and sold two different companies, one being a restaurant management, search firm, and a seafood business, where he was the boat captain. Currently, Glenn is serving as a director of campus dining at Auburn University, where he's using all the skills that he has learned over the years. Glenn is married, has two amazing sons, and just to give everyone some context why Glenn is on today, he is one of the gentlemen that I spoke about in my first podcast about living and leading his family as a trailblazer. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you so much, William. I'm excited to have this talk today. Man, me too. Um, it's you know well overdue. Um, this is obviously podcast number five, if I'm correct. And I talked about you in the very first one because you were really one of the first guys I thought about when I started thinking about men who wanted to lead their families different. So I'm pumped about you being here. I know that you and I are going to have a million things to talk about, which is going to be really cool. For sure. Um, so uh, really, is there anything you want to start off with? or? No, I mean, I think um, I love talking about my family, so you're not going to have to pry any words out of me today. So I'm, I'm very proud of of who they are. Um, obviously, we all have work to do in, in different areas of our lives, but I, I'm I'm excited about what God's doing in each one of them. Yeah, no, man, and and you do you have you have amazing you do have an amazing family. Your your wife, she's an entrepreneur as well. Absolutely. Got her her business um, going. We'll make sure to give a shout out to her and College Town Twalls. Yeah, check it out. Um, and uh, we'll make sure to follow put her on on the Instagram feed and, and everything too as well. Um, but hey, why don't we just start at the very beginning? I mean, if we're going to learn what there is about Glenn, sure. Let's start where you started. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Clearwater, Florida. Um, so the, Clearwater is right across the the bay from Tampa. So if you think of Florida, it's the little part that sticks down. It's kind of the uvula of Florida, the thing that sticks down in the back of your throat. You know. Oh man! And so what was it like growing up there? It was great. I mean, honestly, growing up at the beach, um, everybody wants to come to your place. Uh, it was it, it was always a lot of fun. I, th- I think I had a pretty idyllic um, situation. I mean, I, obviously, everyone has their different things that, that didn't go well for them or whatever. But I mean, honestly, I don't have a lot of complaints about growing up in Clearwater. Yeah. Mom, Dad, what'd they do? So my father uh, was always in something in electrical contracting. Sometimes he was selling electrical products, um, but, but for the most part, he's always been something in that type of a field. He did sports lighting, uh, sold a lot of lighting to Publix. So he's, he, he was always in that field. Sounds like your dad was also a little bit of an entrepreneur as well. So well, is that where this he, comes from for you? or I think, you know, less about entrepreneur. He's just a pure salesman. Uh, he was, you know, my father uh, loves relationships. And that's what he did well is he created relationships. People trusted him. And he was uh, really good at remembering a whole lot of stuff. And so he just knew uh, all the part numbers, how to, how to fix it. And I think that was what made him unique, especially in sales, is that because of his experiences being a contractor, having installed lighting, when he went out to a job and something was going wrong, he could, instead of just quoting you the manual, he actually knew from being in the field how to actually fix things. So when a ballast problem pops up at Publix in a series of lights, he knows about that. And he can say, here's what you do to fix it. All right. And your mom? My mom was a homemaker, and um, that's a real gift. I mean, I think my mother... Uh, put all of her time and energy into us as kids. Uh, I think sometimes that could be, you know, it, it was a great thing to know that your mom was there every single day. And then sometimes it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I <laughs> she's on me. You know, she's watching out for it, watching us uh, every minute and, uh, you know, had our total focus with, my, you know, from my mother. Yeah, sure. man. And, you know, I, I know from, obviously, you know, we've been working together now um, for almost nine years. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Like nine years in January for me, and you, you hit eleven or twelve yeah, at the end of this year. That your your mom, your family is is a very important part of your life, and I love that. So, 
big sports guy. I mean, you're all right, everybody. Like, I'm not a big guy. Glenn's a big guy. He's six foot something. He's a <laughs> solid guy. Like, he's the guy you want defensive end taking out the. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, my my sports. I, I played a lot of things. I play. I, my my father was a tennis player, so that was something he wanted me to do. So I played a lot of tennis growing up uh, when I was young. Uh, played a lot of baseball and played a lot of basketball. I used to go to peace. Uh, so being a little. An LSU uh, fan. <laughs> well, you'll appreciate. I used to go to Pistol Pete's uh, basketball camp at the Clearwater Christian College that he did every year, and uh, the guy was amazing. It was, I mean, seriously, at forty, he could sit there and hit, you know, fifty, hundred free throws in a row while he's giving a talk about Jesus. So, I mean, not only was he an incredible shooter, he's an incredible man of God. So it was one of those really cool memories that I have of growing up. And so love to go play there. Um, and, and so that was up until eighth grade, that was really, my, you know, basketball um, was, was probably one of my favorite sports. And then when I got to high school, things kind of changed. I played on the tennis team my first year and swam um, my first and in, in, uh, my freshman and sophomore year. And then uh, the football coach saw me. And I was like, what in the world are you doing, son? Because <laughs> I just kept growing. You know, I was kind of, um, I was never super skinny, but I was tall and thin and uh, pretty good shape. And he just thought, man, here's my, my next tight end or something else. And yeah. and so uh, they drafted me on to play spring football. And boy, that was an awakening. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I really didn't. Uh, really, for my whole, most of my junior season, I was just kind of feeling it out. And so at the end of my junior season, the, the football coach was like, you need to go wrestle, get your feet under you. And so I wrestled my junior year, and that was another beatdown. Uh, but, but what both of those things taught me, you know, number one is some resilience, right? Because I was mm-hmm. kind of low man on the totem pole, moving around. They didn't really have, you know, I, I didn't start at either of the, the two sports I was playing, which is, was the first for me. And then, um, but... Come through the spring. Um, after I'd wrestled for that first season as a junior, um, my uh, I was a, a different guy. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I was fortunate enough to get to be an exchange student in Germany. This is kind of a funny story. My between my junior and senior year, and and so I'd been lifting. I was stuck benching. I couldn't bench more than two eighty five. That was my max. I mean, I could do. It was just. It was just stuck. I was. I wanted to get to three fifteen. That was like the big jump. Three plates. It was a huge milestone and I just couldn't do it. And so I went to Germany for the summer. And of course in Germany, I was of legal drinking age. So I had a few beers. Um, I had meat and potatoes every day and I had a gym membership, um, but everything was in kilograms. And so I just put stuff on that felt heavy. And so all summer I was working out with bodybuilders and all I did was whatever felt heavy. And so the first time I came back after being in Germany all summer, I, I repped 315 four times. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> After eight weeks in Germany. So Oof. my my uh, my offensive line coach was ready to send the entire offensive line to uh, Leverkusen the next summer. But uh, uh, it was actually pretty funny. So, yeah, I, I had a great senior season up until um, I had a pretty bad leg break. But oh. um, And that was... That was the end of my, um, my football career. And then I wrestled, got to state my senior year, which was great. Lost at state badly. Uh, the guy was way better than I was. But uh, I made it. So, I mean, I felt like I had a pretty successful career. I think maybe if I would have focused on football for four years, I might have had a better shot at doing something after. But uh, yeah. so, so I got to ask. I mean, so you obviously, you're a very athletic man. I mean, I've known you for mm-hmm. a while. I know you're very athletic. I know that your kids are very athletic. What about the other side of school? How was how was that side of school? How were the the books? I mean, myself, I was not the books guy. Like I, you know, honestly, I, I did well. Um, I, I I actually got some looks from uh, some Ivy League schools for football, not because I was a good football player, but because I had the grades and the SAT to get in. Um, now, that's not to say I was uh, I was a uh, conscientious student. I was pretty lazy. And that really showed up in my college work is, is <laughs> when I got to, to Auburn and I didn't have the uh, kind of that impetus every day of having my mother present and, you know, all of that structure mm-hmm. really struggled. Yeah. So, so brothers, sisters? I have a brother and a sister. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, my brother and I are still close. Uh, he's three years younger than me. Uh, and so that was always, uh, 
he was he, he's a little bit smaller than I am. He was he played baseball and basketball, um, but qu- kind of quit early. Um, he just ran up against some adversity and just decided to go a different direction. Uh, my sister was a big volleyball player. She's about five nine, so she was she did well there. And, oh yeah, but yeah, everybody. So sorry. So what was it like growing up? I mean, your dad's in the construction industry, somewhat. Like it sounds like you probably got put to work. I know my dad used to put me to work for different things. So yeah, I mean, work was in uh, really that was my connection to my dad. My my father did not have hobbies. Um, we didn't have a lot of relationships, and that's something that really. Um, I've been intentional about is having other family relationships other than, you know, I mean, cause we just didn't get, we got together with the same people. There's very few families that I got to know outside of, um, you know, just really our church, the folks we went to church with. And, uh, my dad, you know, Saturdays were for work. I mean, Monday through Friday is like, he had to go to work. Saturday was the work he wanted to do, right? He wanted to piddle in his workshop. He wanted to fix something. Um, I had six hours of work before I could leave the house on a Saturday morning. So for me to get out, um, I got up at six in the morning and would start mowing. And uh, our neighbors did not appreciate that, to be honest. But I, listen, I had two hours of mowing just to get our, we had two and a half acres in the middle of Clearwater. We had this weird lot that was kind of behind a, a subdivision. And so I had to mow all of that, weed whack all of that, then fix all the sprinklers my dad broke with his trailers dragging them home. Um, and it usually took the best part of six hours. Sometimes I could get out in four if it was a really good week, if he hadn't brought any trailers home and broken anything, but that was my responsibility. And so every, you know, I, I definitely, um, did a lot of work like that. That was before I could actually go to work for my father. I worked in uh, construction. So did, you know, he was an electrical contractor. I worked at USF. I worked at GE Neutron, um, which was a, um, a plant that did nuclear parts down um, in the Tampa Bay area. Then I did, um, what's the other one? Uh, well, I did a lot of like new construction, so residence in, uh, things like that. So that was big commercial projects, uh, usually um, early on in the project where you get to dig all the ditches. <laughs> that was I, I was part mole by the time I was done with that. That played a big role in the work. I mean, cause, you know, working with you now, I don't know what your work ethic's like. You know, and I'm going to make sure we stay on your your, your 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 story because I, I mean, you and I've known each other for sure. a while. So I mean, sure. obviously, everybody who's listening, I know a lot of a story because we talk all the time. I mean, our offices are right next to each other. We share things all the time, um, which is really one of the honestly, it's probably the best part of my job um, is the fact that I know that I can I, I can come into your office anytime I need yeah. um, for anything that I need Absolutely. personal, professional, whatever it is, but. Uh, so, but I would, I have to ask the question, is that where your work ethic has come from? And because it is a strong, awesome work ethic that you have about how you do things and how you build relationships with people and stuff like that. You know, I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that does come um, from my father. I think that um, it, finding balance with that has been hard. Um, you know, my first five years at Auburn, I would say... Um, that work ethic was a little skewed um, because there was nothing, you know, I had to accomplish a certain number of things where I didn't feel like I could leave or I had to accomplish, you know, I, I just, I think that sometimes, um, you know, you have to find the limits and you have to find what's most important. And uh, I think that's where I've, I've, I've kind of grown through, through this. I'm still going to work really hard. I'm still going to keep things um, you know, my work ethic isn't, hasn't changed. It's just evolved into really having a better understanding of, of work-life balance. Um, you know, and, that, and that's also been something with my, my kids is that I didn't want them to have the experience that I did. Not, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to um, bash my dad, but I mean, really, it, it really is not fun to the only way that I could really connect to my dad was to go out back and do something he wanted to do um, I don't ever remember, um, you know, other than a single little league team, him really getting involved in something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that was just not something I wanted for my kids. I mean, yeah. I've tried to do, you know, pretty much the opposite. Now, I did buy a house with a big 
yard because I wanted those jokers to know how to run a weed whacker, and they do know how to run a weed whacker. <laughs> he does have. I, I can I can definitely vouch for the fact that he has a big yard, big yard pool, big workshop. So he has all those things. He's checking some of his dad boxes there for sure. But uh, he does find a good balance, which is why you're on this on 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 Thanks. today's podcast. Honestly, um, all right. So all right. So now you know we've kind of we've kind of gone through high school. So Auburn, like you're from Florida, like everybody stays in Florida. You like, know, um, I I never fit. I don't feel like I fit culturally in Florida. You know, I think that um, I just had a different upbringing, really Southern Baptist, um, you know, behavior was so important in my household. Uh, and so I identified with kind of the structures uh, further, you know, up in Alabama much more than I did in, say, a Florida state or a Florida where it was a little, you know, there was just more influence from a variety of cultures. The, I mean, the cultures were... Um, just much more like what I grew up with. And so, I mean, uh, the, the politeness, the yes, ma'am, no, uh, sir, and the, all those things um, really I, I identified with them. It made me feel comfortable and it made me feel like I, I didn't, I kind of fit in. And mm-hmm. so when I, when I got to Auburn, first of all, um, it was so friendly, you know, and that's me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a friendly guy. I like the, you know, relationships are important to me. And so, that was an immediate thing that stuck out, but then also just that culture of, you know, hey, we're we're running at a different pace here, and that really felt like something I wanted to be a part of. Nice, yeah, man. So, good college stories. Did you? Oh, yeah. Come on, you know. There's no. I'm not going to let you get off this podcast. <laughs> but at least one or two of those good college stories. Oh well, you I mean, know, you the, can keep it. You, you can pick which oh, ones. Oh yeah, are. sure. I mean, listen, we had, you know, I, I did uh, the fraternity thing, and so we got some some funny. Uh, Stories. I think uh, there was a, a, a time, and I, I'm not going to name any names because. Um, no, that's good. No <laughs> names. We're good. We had a uh, one of my fraternity brothers uh, got engaged. So we, we had this kind of system of like, you know, if you gave, so lava, you, you could lavalier a girl, which is like, this is my steady girlfriend kind of thing. It's like your fraternity letters and so you you give them to her and and so like if you did that we threw you in this pit we had in the back that was full of god only knows what right um if you got pinned which is like the next level is like the precursor to getting engaged if you got pinned so is is that her giving you no no no, the other way around that's this is you did it so you get the so if you got pinned um you know our fraternity house was basically on the corner of Sanford and college. Okay. Okay. So picture that corner, like right there where that big construction project is now. Uh, we, about six o'clock, you'd get out there and you're, you know, we'd trip you down and throw you out in the middle of the, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that was punishment number two. So this guy got engaged. And so we had no idea what was bad enough to do to him for getting engaged. I mean, we, we had heard of people tree, you know, like duct taping people to trees, things like that. But somebody came up with the uh, idea of taking him to his the his 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 fiance's chapter room during chapter for their whole sorority, so like 150 girls. So we uh, duct taped him to a chair. We did provide him with a pair of uh, leopard skin skivvies um, and a pair of bunny ears, and we carried him in like a Jewish wedding on a chair and set him down in the front of chapter. So uh, we were legends for that. So. Oh, I can <laughs> yeah. so. And no repercussions at all. Oh, well, uh, I think uh, his girlfriend came running up there and sat on him, which I'm sure he, you know, was both good and bad. Yeah. You know, anyways. That's funny. That is too funny. And I still know them. They're great friends. Well, you know, and that's, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, joining fraternity, I mean, I don't know. I, I probably poked some fun at, at, at when I was younger. Because I wasn't the guy that I, I was not the guy that was joining a fraternity. Nothing against him. I just wasn't. Yeah, that sure. Guy. And, and, and just just how I was. Um, I ended up joining a different fraternity, the Marine Corps. Yes, you totally did. different Marine Brotherhood. But uh, but I, I get the camaraderie that goes along with that, and you know, I think that's probably why a lot of people they 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 sh- they they feel they probably push away from it is they they actually long and crave for that. Um, 
Because I know as, as men, that's one of the things that, like, as much as we say, hey, I'm the loner, John yeah. Wayne, whatever, we all know that's just that's a load of crap. Right. It is. I mean, honestly, I still, um, I go to Bible study on Tuesdays with one of my pledge brothers. Um, we have a, a chain of, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 of us that are constantly on text. Uh, I have a, I have a, one of my pledge brothers has got a son who's going through brain cancer right now. Mm. Um, and it's been cool to be part of, you know, praying for him. And, and so, I mean, those, those relationships, those are 30 year relationships. I mean, we've kept in touch. And so that's been that's been special. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I feel like uh, if you you know if you connect and you and you invest, you get a lot back from it. And mm-hmm. so um, it's been fun to go back. I've gotten to talk to uh, some of the pledge classes that are coming through now, and really you know helping them understand what they're investing in here. It's not just a guy that you go drink beer with on Friday night. This is the guy that you're going to call when your kid's sick or. Mm-hmm. Something else goes wrong in your life. That these this is these are people that can be your brothers for a lifetime. And I you know and I kind of tell them about you know some of the the guys that I still keep in, in contact with. And I think that's an important part of it. Is really um, you know as with anything, you get back what you invest in something. And so I think it can be um, really healthy, and sometimes it can be really not healthy. And so it's really about uh, the culture of the chapter and things like that. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I've got to ask this question um, because I'm thinking of from the guys that I'm still in contact with that I was in the Marine Corps. With. Sure. I mean, I've been out of the Marine Corps for 20 years, mm-hmm. and I got out in 2000, so 23 years, almost 24. Um, but it's like, what do you think it was that created that bond in there? I mean, it wasn't the drinking on Friday night. Like, that was something that happened, but you did that with a lot of people. And I don't mean that like yeah, no. hey, you had a drinking problem. I just mean like... <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm you know, you just, there was a lot of people that did sure, a lot of things, of course, but what yeah. do you think were some of those things that really created that, that trust, that bond, that brotherhood? Um, and, and I ask this question because I want people to learn and, or not learn, but understand the importance of these, these bonds, this, these communities. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, going through the same thing in the same way at the same time. I mean, that's what Pledgeship is. We're all one unit. And so whatever we did, we did together. I mean, for six months, basically, it felt like you're, you're doing everything together. They expected, you know, if there was never a time when one guy went and did something, we all went together, whatever was going on. We, you know, you clean the house together, you know, you run around the house when you get in trouble yelling, I love, you know, I mean, your fraternity and, and, and you just, I mean, that's just what it was. I mean, so I think it's just, it, it's time spent and time invested, but also, I mean, just the hilarity of the stuff that you end up having to do. I mean, we had, we had one guy, it was awful. And so this one guy would make somebody from the pledge class wake up every morning before his, his, his 8 a.m. class, usually about 6 or 6.30, and come and sit on the toilet seat to warm, him up, warm it up so he didn't have to sit on a cold toilet seat at the K-House. So I mean, <laughs> I mean that's up. Yeah, no, that, that was it. That was a next level uh, little incident. I mean, it was not you know not harmful in any way, and that was I mean most of the stuff that that we they did to you know was was like that. It was just funny and hilarious and just you know I mean whether it's water balloon launchers or you know bear crawling. You know we had this this other tradition where you had to have certain things in your pockets at all times. And so if at dinner, you didn't have four change for a dollar, you didn't have your pledge pin on right, or you didn't have a lighter that would light. So like they yell fire and you have to light your lighter. If you didn't light your lighter or a lighter, did, or lighter failed, you had to stand up at the front and, yell, and sing Gilligan's Island. And when the weather started getting rough, pretty much everything that was not tied down got thrown at you. So two guys with pitchers of sweet tea, you know, whatever food, it was just a huge food fight. So, I mean... No one was harmed in any of these incidents, but hilarious memories that you have with your, you know, with your pledge brothers that you go back and you revisit and you, you, you remember when so-and-so did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the Marine Corps, I'm sure some of the, the memories are a little different, but I'm sure that some, some pretty funny things happened in that group, core group of guys that you went through kind of this, this, you know, memory, mm-hmm. right? This time of your life that was both hard, but also really rewarding at the end. I think that's what kind of builds it together. 
Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, my time in the Marine Corps, um, there wasn't as many people. What's funny is there wasn't as many people from boot camp because you went through boot camp, and if you, a lot of times those guys, they were going to different schools. So they were going all over the country. You may not see them again. Sure, yeah. But once you got to the fleet and you got to your unit, that's when that's really started to happen. And those are the guys that I end up really can. Those are the guys you really, because you're going through those hardships. You're training on a regular basis. Right. You're having to get up early in the morning. You have staff NCOs that are going to play games. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always good games, you know? You just, you never know. Don't, you know, don't show up late for, you know, time to clean. Uh, oh, sure. Thursday nights when you when, when you've got, you know, Field duty and, 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 you know, it's just whatever. Oh, yeah. You just, you just don't do it. But those are also the same guys that when the when the staff in COIC shows up on Saturday, and you know, I would say shot in the desert. Like, I got stationed in 29 Palms. There is nothing. The closest city, legitimate city was Palm Springs, and it was an hour away. Like, yeah. you hit Palm Springs, you turned left, and you went straight out into the desert for an hour. Oof. And then you found 29 Palms. And so outside of his barracks room was this huge sand um, horseshoe pit. So we decided that we were gonna have a beach party. So we went and got the biggest pool we could get from Walmart, set it up, and we're talking about one of those those 18 inch deep like pop-up side pools. Oh my god! Set it up, filled it up, put a couple umbrellas in the, gr- in the ground, filled the refrigerator as full of beer as we could, and set out in that pool and started cranking Jimmy Buffett and just sat there all day long. And when the NCO, when the staff NCO who was on duty came by, he just kind of looked at us and was just like, everybody's of age, right? We're like, yes, staff sorry. Okay. And then he just shook his head and walked away. He's like, I just, <laughs> just didn't want it, didn't care. I mean, he was totally good with what we were doing. But hey, like, I had all the sand in the world, but I had no beach. No so doubt. So I made that, my own beach right there. But That's those, awesome. That's a buddy of mine. That's He's in Washington now. And... I, I mean, we text fairly regularly every year. I send them a happy birthday on a Marine Corps birthday. Happy birthday, you old, you know what? Oh, yeah, and, sure. And so it's just, it was right. But at the same time, he's the guy that, you know, we trained together as well, you know, mm-hmm. when we yeah. had PT or whatever was going on. So there was a, a common bond, a, a thread that we had through the good and the bad and stuff like that. So I, I get that. But I wanted people to hear that. It's not just military. It's not just school you know, or, or sports. Yeah. There, there are places that that it's important for guys to find and maybe even create those spaces sure. to kind of have some of those struggles together, some good times together. Because that's going to be your community. That's that's part of who we are and where we and, and you find that out in those spaces because you, you start learning the things that you don't necessarily like about yourself or others. Absolutely. So you're able to kind of refine that in and find sure. the right people. So, right, so college, four years at Auburn University, or were you yeah, on the, the longer I was, plan? Yeah, I, I skied a little bit longer than that, but uh, I was I, I got a job at um, Cowley Gardens my junior year, and so I kept, um, you know, when the when when the money was good, I'd take a semester off. So it, it took me the best, you know, all of five years um, to do it. But I think that uh, you know, once I started making money, I was, it just got. I'm like, man, I, I just want to get out. I was ready to get out. I wanted to, you know, I figured I was going to do something similar to my dad in, in some type of sales. And so mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, need to do much more. So anyways, uh, yeah, I uh, graduated, moved to New Mexico of all places. Um, that was my first job was out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I had a cousin that was selling manufactured housing uh, or mobile homes, uh, as you as you might guess. Uh, you know the funny thing about mobile homes in Albuquerque is there's no nothing that chases them out there. Like in Florida, I mean it's you know it's the hurricane, tornado, magnets, mm-hmm. almost anywhere else. I mean there is no natural disaster that can yeah, you know you know so it's perfect place. I mean it's dry, arid climate, nothing's gonna rust really. I mean it's a great place to sell them, and we sold a ton of them, and so I I, I made really good money. I thought I was, but I had Thursdays off. And that about killed me coming out of college, let me tell you. But I learned a work ethic, right? I mean, you got to work when the people that you're serving need you, right? So, I mean, they, they're going to be walking around on Saturdays and Sundays because that's when they have time off. So, it was that was hard. 
but it was also, it, it helped me when I went to the next job that I got and, and I started in my IT career. Um, it really helped me grow. So was tech a big thing for you at always or just looking the draw at the right time? I had always loved computers. I had a, I had a really bad computer that my father bought me um, right when things were starting to crank up with the internet um, when I was at Auburn. And it was like a big server. He bought it from Thanks to Al Gore, right? What? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, good old Al. So anyways, so he buys me this thing that could have been a boat anchor. We, get, You know what I'm saying? It was huge. I mean, just carrying, we had to weigh 45 pounds. And, uh, but didn't even have a CD-ROM, didn't have a sound card, didn't, would do almost nothing. So every, uh, every quarter, we were on the quarter system back then, I'd go to Walmart and I would get the Creative Labs upgrade kit and I'd upgrade my computer by putting the RAM in it, the CD-ROM and everything. So then I could play games and do stuff with it for the semester, but then I'd run out of money and then I'd go and back with back then, as long as you kept everything nice, you could return it to Walmart. So I'd, I bet I bet I bought and sold the same Creative Labs upgrade thing four or five times over my career. But it was, uh, you know, so I, I had an interest in it. And then um, I went to work selling semiconductors and then got my job at Tech Data. What did you do at Tech Data? Tech Data was the national, I, I worked my way into a national accounts manager. Um, so that's basically we had to cover... Um, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, from Eastern to, to Pacific, oh, wow. which was a, a big swath of time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, we had warehouses uh, all across the United States. Uh, so I covered um, a, a, a company there called Microwage. I don't think Microwage is still around anymore. They might be. Uh, but we were distribution, so we sold to resellers. So we had to be knowledgeable about a variety of products. Uh, most of our Salesforce was tele, you know, on the telephone, uh, so got used to that. I did travel some for that. Most my biggest customers were based in Arizona and California, but they had offices all over the United States. So I would travel out to that area quite a bit. All right. So what, now, what year is this about? If you don't mind me. Ninety-six. Okay. So yeah. so I would have been at ninety-six. I just joined the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um. You you and I are close to the same age. Yeah. You know, I was twenty. Two twenty-three going to boot camp. A little older. You're probably yeah. yeah. I know you're a couple of years older than I am. Like you turned. By the way, happy birthday. Yeah. Um. And you turned what 50, 53. 53 this year. Yeah. So you, you got me by two years. I turned fifty-one yep. next month. Um. Yeah, it's funny because I think in '96, I think I bought my first computer and it was a Gateway, and I can remember that boat anchor <laughs> and actually carrying that thing around. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I I mean had it forever. Um, it was just, it was, it was funny. So, so is that what you guys were selling? And, and so what was really good about getting into the business that I got into getting into the business right about when I did was, uh, the year 2000. So if you remember the lead up to the year 2000, everyone was convinced that, and I think it's still, I would, I would bet my life that it was the greatest marketing campaign in the history of man, that no one really knew that there was going to be a problem, but that it was such a good tactic to get everyone to upgrade their computer i mean you think about i mean it made microsoft because it it forced everyone to to upgrade um to not to the next version of microsoft i think they had to go to windows 98 to be able to yeah because 95 was perfect 90 well 95 was still dos based so once you had to get off the dos platform well i mean it was a huge swing for microsoft every single computer across the United States upgrading to avoid this coming peril. Um, I was doing over $2 million a day in sales at different Ooh. points during the year 19, like during 1999, because so many people were absolutely going crazy trying to get enough computers in. So we we're selling just acres of, of box, you know, these computers, you know, so we sold, um, Dell and Gateway were kind of the outliers back then. Mm-hmm. So Compaq was probably the the, the, the leader mm-hmm. at that point. HP did quite a few. IBM those were the those were the main players in the in the in the, in there. And then Dell was kind of the interrupter. They were the direct to consumer, mm-hmm. and most of the others were the the going through that VAR channel, which is value added reseller. So mm-hmm. usually they were getting those in, maybe upgrading the RAM. Uh, imaging the hard drive, all that kind of stuff. So, 
uh, we did, you know, we we did quite a bit of business um, that year. And then when we got on the backside of that, that's when things kind of started really slowing down because everybody figured out, well, wait, there's no real reason. For, I mean, my computer works just fine. I don't need to upgrade. They, so all of that impetus kind of just stopped. Everything kept working. So all the people that were going to upgrade and go, well, nothing happened. And so it really, I mean, so it really put the brakes on the industry. I went from uh, really big paychecks to um, much smaller paychecks in a, in a hurry. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I was fortunate to uh, to be in a position to be able to invest with um, and, and, and buy into the fishing business with my brother. And so we bought. So were you married at this point or? You know, um, I was, I, I would, I had met, I met Shannon in 2000, like late 2002 and we got married in February, 2004. And so I was in this transitional period. I was working, um, I think I was still working at tech data when I met her and then, um, started the business. And by the time we were getting married, uh, we got married and we moved to Crystal River, Florida. And so that was, uh both the best and the worst thing that we could have ever done for our marriage um, in a lot of ways. Uh, it was a real transition. I mean, we went from Clearwater, which is everything you could want, the beach, all the restaurants, all the stuff to do. And Crystal River is kind of, uh, it's on the nature coast. Uh, read nothing. Uh, there's just not a lot there. Uh, there's a river instead of a beach. And so you take the river out to get to the Gulf rather than uh, white sandy beaches uh, it's all spring fed. And so it was a very big transition, both for me and for her. Uh, starting married life, we were both got married kind of later in life uh, in our 30s and, you know, felt the pressure right off the bat of, you know, if we're going to have kids, we're going to have kids now. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, lot of pressure there and, and, and really um, it was very challenging. But, you know, well, the Lord really met us in that and in, in, in giving us a church. Uh, and I can tell you, Every relationship we had for those formative years of our, uh, you know, of, of living in Crystal River and the formative years of our marriage were all of our relationships were, were in the church, mm-hmm. all of our, our life group. Um, and so that was a huge win, you know, and really um, we, we both did a lot of growing in our faith. Uh, so that was, that was, I mean, you know, it, that was, you know, you want to talk about a miracle. God just put us in this position, I mean, you know, he used, um, you know, and I, I mean, if I had to, to do over again, I wouldn't change it because of that. Cause I think it just changed the trajectory of our, both of our lives. And as far as from a faith perspective, because all of that challenge demanded help, right? Yeah. I mean, we were both, um, you know, just really at sea in so many different ways with this, you know, the newness of the relationship that we had. And then, you know, she's pregnant and he, you know, right out, you know, I mean, we think Gibson was born in 2005. So, I mean, we, not, not long. Yeah. Um, not being a honeymoon period. No, there. there was not. I mean, we were, you know, we were, we, we had to get moving on the family thing. And so that's, that's hard. You know, I mean, it really is. I mean, I love, um, I love my, my family. I love the boys, but I would have loved to have a, a couple years with my wife before kids. We didn't really get that. Um, and then Shannon dealt with postpartum depression. And mm. honestly, that's probably top five most difficult, awful things that I've ever walked through in my life. And I walked through a few. And But I also look back at it as, as one of the things that changed both Shannon and I's you know, trajectory as a couple and um, and really made me have to, to, to look hard at who I was going to be in our relationship. Um, you know, it, just to kind of give you a little bit of um, background. I mean, so she had such a hard time, first of all, with breastfeeding. And then it just kind of spiraled. And, and my wife is a high achiever. Um, she's someone that gets a lot of things done every day. And then suddenly she has something that eliminates the idea of planning. You cannot plan with with an infant. Just can't do it. Um, I'm crabbing 13 hours a day. This is our, our fishing business, um, and so she was just just couldn't couldn't cope. Um, it got to the point where I, I would see her at night. The baby would cry, 
and Gibson would cry and she would go to the computer to try to look up why he wasn't sleeping the three hours between feedings and I would go and get the, and get him and pick him up and do you know whatever needed to be done. And then the worst day was I was offshore, uh, probably two hours from the dock at least, and I got a phone call. We're fortunate to have phones on the boat, and she said, "I'm leaving, and I can't do this anymore. And you'll be better off without me. And I'm just going to leave, okay?" And and so I said, "You know, okay, I understand. I'm not trying to make you." Stick around, do anything like that, but can you just wait till my mom gets there? And so to take care of Gibson, she's like, okay. So I called my mom. Of course, I told my mom, don't let her leave, whatever you do. And um, got turned the boat around, quit crabbing that day, went home, and and uh, and we got her on some some meds that that helped her deal with um, that. And then obviously, you know, there were some other steps that we had to take, but. Honestly, that period in my life, it started off with a feeling of I, I'd come, my mother was the consummate, everything that you would think of as a, a mother, right? She was mm-hmm. all of those things and more. She's super kind and always positive, just just all the things that motherhood, you know, she could cook. She, she just did all of it and it was just seemed, you know, like she was born to do it. That was not Shannon's story. I mean, none of that stuff was natural to her. And um, I think, you know, my choice at that point was to say either my wife is broken, which would be a horrible thing to to think about your wife. Mm -hmm. And I did. I mean, there was moments. I mean, and that was really a struggle to kind of reframe that, you know, and, and, but also to see my own brokenness in it. And that was where... Uh, we're so fortunate to have a church where um, I, ha- I was in a men's group that really was speaking life into me at those moments, um, and it really that was that was a that was a fraught situation, right? You know, what's wrong with you? Why don't you love our kid? That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. But that's that was not it wasn't her. She had mm-hmm. no control over it whatsoever, and so yeah. really walking through that um, brought us both closer together, and um, ultimately, I feel like. It, it kind of really framed what what being a husband is, mm-hmm. right? When you get married, you're second that day. And if you don't think that going into it, and I didn't, right? I, I, there's part of me that, that got into marriage to be served, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as a man, I, I truly believe that you have got to order your life around the idea of you are second. And then when you had kids, you know, your third, fourth, or fifth, whatever, however many you have. That is the reality of being a man. And that their needs are going to come before yours for the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. if you don't want that, then don't get married. Don't have kids. Yep. That's who you are. So, uh, you know, go ahead. No, no, man. It's funny. I mean, because literally last night, you know, so one of my favorite books, and, and I'm actually going to, I hope to cover it on the podcast one day, is John Eldridge's Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that book. It was, it's been pivotal in my relationship with my heavenly father it has been pivotal with me growing in becoming the man that he created me to be but the part one of the parts that I was reading last night was about how was was listening to his struggle with not wanting to fight for his wife anymore like he it's not that he didn't love her right it had mm-hmm. nothing to do with i don't love her it had to do all with I'm just tired. I mean, I honestly, man. I mean, I shared with my. I, I I prayed that this morning. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'm just tired, but I I need your strength because I always want to fight for my wife. Yeah. Like I'm going to, and and that's honestly that's what they want out of us, and we don't get thank yous. Like there's no, and and it's nothing against them. We're not fighting for. We should if we're fighting for them to get thank yous, then we're fighting for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You're fighting for you. Exactly. We're fighting for them because they're our wives and or our children. And and hearing that story, like it's just it gives me another reason to, to reaffirm why you're on this because there's there's a lot of guys out here who honestly feel just how you felt at that moment. Yeah. And I if I asked you, I'm sure you would say, Hey, there are still days that I feel this 1, way. One thousand percent. 
I mean, even like I said, myself included, this morning I was I was journaling that and praying, like, you know, hey God, not not that we're in a bad time, but I'm like, I get tired. Yeah. Like sometimes I just I don't and and, and I have to pick it up and go, It's my wife. I'm here to fight for her. And that means I'm going to pray for her. And that means I'm going to encourage her and be a not really a, I don't want to say provider. I mean, that's part of some of the stuff, but it's be supportive of her, not support her, because support yeah. sounds like I'm yeah. doing these things for you. I'm supportive of you. So whatever your choices are, I'm going to stand behind you and I'm always going to be here. And so I'm so glad that you shared that, man. Like, I love it. Like, I knew, I knew the story, but I've never heard you articulate it that way. Yeah. And that's awesome. Like, there's also a part of me, I gotta be honest, I'm like, I hope Shannon doesn't kill him. <laughs> like, this stuff's gonna be on the airways. And so, you know, she's very open. I mean, she, we've shared this. This is not something that we haven't shared I, with other people. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Um, I know you would. I think she would say, that, you know, very similar things. I think, you know, in those moments, um, and this is the thing that I think is the most critical in, in, in kind of framing your mind. Is that there are two different things that go, you know, you have your, your your wife. Your wife is owed your love and affection by virtue of being your wife. Mm-hmm. Separate from her actions. Separate from all of the, you know what I'm saying? There could be consequences to her actions. There can be all kinds of things, you know, that can go on because of something that goes on between you, right? The, but that's separate. God called you to this woman and this is your wife and this is who you're, 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 you're meant for, right? And so that, that person gets all of your focus and all of your love for that reason. Because otherwise, it's always a process of somebody earning it one way or the other. Yep. Until you get to that place where you go, okay, yeah, we had a horrible morning. You were an absolute jerk this morning to me. You, said, you haven't had a kind word for me in two days, it feels like. But you are my wife, right? That's Period. who you are. Yes. And that's the same thing, you know, and I mean, it's funny. I have the same type of conversations uh, with my sons. And I think it's, you know, from a parenting standpoint, it's the exact same framework. And you have to so be intentional about framing it for your kids so they understand that when we have a problem, right, you and I, when I tell you to do something and you don't do it, you disobey a rule, that does not change who you are, does not change how I feel about you, has nothing to do with it. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you with everything in me. And there's nothing you're going to do or say that's going to change that. That is immutable. It's not changing. But there are consequences for the actions that you took. Mm-hmm. And the consequences are really not about, it's not about vengeance. It's not because I'm mad at you. It's because there are real consequences down the road when I'm not in charge, when you're in charge. Once you become in charge, all the consequences become yours and you're dealing with an employer, you're dealing with a spouse, you're dealing with the law, all of those different things, those consequences are real. Yeah. And so the, 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 the consequences I'm going to give you are to remind you that down the road it's going to count. Mm-hmm. Right now this is all practice. Right? Yeah, that's good. You know? So that's, I mean, that's really how I try, and I tried to frame those things from a very early age. I remember having conversations with two-year-olds. And, and talking about why you don't run away from daddy when he says stop. It's not because today you ran in the, you know, out to the front yard and you didn't listen to me. I had to chase you down. Nothing bad happened, right? Was it really so bad for you to run away from me? No. But what happens if there's a snake or there's a car or there's some other danger that I absolutely have to have your attention? I have to have you stop. What happens then? And so that's, you know, the boys will still tell you the talks were worse than the spankings. (laughs) They hated it because they, because, I mean, again, I really, really tried to to moderate, even if they were really frustrating me, even if I was angry, whatever it was, to try to moderate that and have have a conversation that they could follow and understand that there was a principle behind any punishment they got and that I loved them and I hugged them every single time I ever spanked them. And I didn't. I, I don't want to spend. I, I I enjoy that, but by gosh, I was going to have safety for mm-hmm. these kids, and they were going to know that there was a backstop. 
Well, in South Florida, it's not just snakes, it's alligators too. Yeah, there's alligators too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean at my dad's walk. house, if they walk out on that dock, I mean, there's, there, there, my, my dad's house had some gators behind it. <laughs> so funny. I had to have compliance and I was not going to, you know, allow them to, to put themselves in harm's way because they didn't learn a very basic thing. And so, I mean, I think those are, you know, but it never, you know, again, you know, I think it just really helps for, especially, I mean, even now to really have a conversation around what is this about? What's Mm -hmm. it really about? Yeah. It's not about this vague rule that I made that you have to be home at 1130. It's that you're a man of your word. That if you tell me you're going to be somewhere, you're there. Yeah. Right? Because if you're not at work at 1130 when you say you will be, you get fired. Yep. Um, I want to make sure I say this to, to, to guys out there um, to kind of backtrack a little bit on some stuff that, that you talk about. So I want to make sure guys don't hear this and then feel condemned if they're divorced. Okay. Um, because, you know, they maybe they, they hear this and, and, and guys, I really need you to hear this. Like, I am divorced. All right. I've been divorced. I am remarried. And I have, I can, I can tell you that, hey, yeah, maybe I didn't fight for my marriage like I should have, right? But without a doubt, I'm married to the woman that I'm supposed to be with, and I know that. And there is not a day that goes by that I would not fight for our relationship, our marriage, fight for her, no matter what she did or decided to do, I would fight for her. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. And so it, 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 I just don't want guys to feel that they're not fighting for the marriage because they're divorced. Um, you, you definitely, you, you were fortunate enough to figure it out and both of you guys were on board because it takes two to get divorced. It's just not one person. So the big question I think I really want to be able to take away from this is, and I, and I think it's, it's a perfect segue from your story about your willingness and desire for both of you guys to fight through this and, and your desire to fight for for your wife at the and through all of that leading up to that and then everything that you you went through living back home and stuff like that but how to fight for your family and the decision you know so in, our, in my first podcast i tell the story about how you and your wife made the decision that said hey our kids aren't going to play travel ball yeah because we want to be able to do things with our family that I know that I can't do with travel ball. And your kids are great athletes. Mm-hmm. Like they are very successful at what they do. They are built like athletes, um, and they do it. So I'd, I'd love to hear, A, did, did part of that that you walked through with Shannon and those moments and stuff like that, how did that play in that role? And then what led to that decision ultimately? Of you guys doing that? So, I mean, I would say, you know, there's two two real cruxes to Shannon and I really coming together. And, and you know, we went through some, we went through counseling. So I'll be, I'll be very honest about that. Um, while we were still in Crystal River, uh, we were really struggling with some issues with it, with my family. I think that um, that led to us wanting a different place that was kind of our own and mm-hmm. that was away from... Um, both of our families for that matter. And so it just give us a, an opportunity to kind of grow as a family. But also with that decision and moving from, from Crystal River to Auburn and kind of burning the ships and I came here without a job uh, because it was that important for us to, to, to get out um, at that moment and uh, to choose my wife um, in, in that. And, you know, look, that was hard. Um, but, you know, God is really... Um, over you know a period of years, really showed me what what grace he showed both of us in in that in, in in allowing for it and providing a job and all the things that he's done since. But with you know with the boys, um, you know I really I mean I could easily be the sports dad. I mean you know I love watching those guys play and and I, I you call them jokers. I know that's what you always yeah, call. Yeah, exactly. Those two jokers are. Uh, um, they're great. We're, we, we love, um, from, from very early age, we played, uh, sports out back, things like that. But there is, uh, there's nothing I want more than, than time with them, you know? And, and, um, I feel like that there's a limitation on how much time you get with your kids. And that is a, uh, that was something that was always a focus for me is I, I know that I've got 18 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to rob myself 
every summer of all of it. You know, now if you're play, if your kids are playing travel ball and your family is enjoying it and you is and that's your thing, I have. I mean, listen, there are tons of people that that whole the whole family mobilizes. They go, they watch tournaments, they really enjoy it. And if that's your thing, absolutely. It is, you know, and, and, and again, I don't, you know, it's really about what your family as a group, what you, what, what you want to do with your free time. Um, travel has been really important to both Shannon and I. Um, getting uh, the boys exposed to other cultures, other places, um, kind of broadening their horizons, right? Uh, you know, the, the, there's, there's bigger places and more to see in the world than mm-hmm. Auburn, Alabama or Crystal River, Florida or wherever. Um, so we've, you know, uh, we've been able to take them to, to London. Uh, we went to New York. We've been to, you know, to, uh, to Maine. We've been to lots of places that we got to go um, because we didn't play um, travel ball over the summer. I mean, it, it's, it's not an inexpensive thing to do. Um, so, I mean, I, again, it's, it's, it's making a value judgment. And I think it really boils down to, as a family, having a conversation about what is most important to us culturally. What, how is that going to work? Um, and fit our lives. Uh, you know, another piece of that w- was really scary for me is the idea that we wouldn't go to church all summer because um, tournaments are on Sundays. Mm. You know, it's true. I mean, so um, I I definitely did not want to be in a position where um, my kids just were not involved in church for big swaths of their um, of their summer. I mean, I think we you know we as believers we have a a duty to be there and to be under teaching and to, and to hear from the Lord each week um, and, and making it a priority. I mean, I, you know, look, I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, there are, there are times we watch it instead of go, but you know, we do, we do, we try to have a discipline around that and that no matter what's going on that we're trying to, trying to be in um, to hear the sermon. So I think that's, that's an important thing. Even when we're, you know, Shannon and I will be out of town and we'll make the boys go because this is, you know, you need to go. Mm-hmm. So I think those are those are all things that really led to that decision, and 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 you know I mean I think there's a lot of pressure, especially in a place like Auburn that's really sports crazy. Um, I can't tell you how many times I got absolutely you know how could you you know they're not going to get a scholarship to college because now you've not let them play travel baseball or whatever, and those things do you know I mean it it can sting right oh yeah but I mean again you're fighting for your family. You're fighting, you know, so, I mean, and, and whatever decision you make, as long as you make it together and that you're, you know, everyone has a say, but obviously you and your wife are going to make the decision. If it's, you know, whichever direction you go on that, as long as it's together and both of you are in lockstep, I think it can be a good decision. Again, I, I still feel like that Sunday is a tough, it's tough. No, I mean, I, I mean, I, it's funny. I mean, I had, you know, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. Like I drank to church every Sunday, right? <laughs> but uh, but without a doubt, that is part of the foundation of my faith. And look, I can look back, and I can promise you, and you, you and I have had multiple conversations. Um, a lot of the guys that listen to this podcast know me, and I have I've pretty colorful background. Like you know, there were a lot of years. And, and, and I even, I call them BC years. Like it's before Christ was really sure. a big part of my life. But I can look back now and even I even have these prayers sometimes like, hey, God, will you show me where you were at in this time? And man, like it's inevitable. Like he'll he'll kind of show me. He's like, hey, we're sitting in this corner while you were doing that. And I'm like, ouch. He's like. You know, and it, it wasn't even, it maybe wasn't even something I was doing bad, but it was just at a bad time in my life. But because of some choices I made, it was just a real struggle in my life. But he's like, I was still there. You just didn't want me to be a part of it. And so, like, but. And he loved you just as much as he loved you now. And that's a, that's the thing, that that's the miracle, right? Yeah, and when, but it was built on that foundation of, yeah. of, of understanding. I mean, even. You know, I've got three amazing sons right now. Uh, well, not right now. I mean, I have three amazing sons, <laughs> you know, and, and they're all, you know, they're all, I mean, my youngest is 21. So they're all living their own life, doing their, their thing, pursuing their stuff. Yeah. And I still pray the same thing. Hey, you know, God bring an amazing woman into their lives. Um, you 
know, God give them wisdom, protect them, guide them. You know, if they get away, if they're getting away from you, show them where you're at in their life, Lord, yeah. so that they can stay there. But now I also know that it's part of their journey to figure out what that relationship looks like with Him, um, as it was for me. You know, when it's, when they're their age at home, it's yeah. our responsibility to kind of create some of that. But then as they get older, they get to kind of to build off that foundation that we built for them and that you built for your kids. So that's that's really really awesome. So what advice would you give men who want to live a life as a trailblazer? Because this is what I'm calling this. I mean, you know, I, sure. I talked about this podcast as men who just really have decided to to live their lives a little bit di- differently um, or areas of their life rooted in their values and, and, and doing these things just kind of against the flow. Well, I think, um, I think you have to, you know, first of all, you got to put God first. In your own life, I think you've got to have uh, a relationship with Jesus that is uh, that is real and that is active. Um, I think you have to have a group of men mm-hmm. um, that you can walk through the life with, and you can unpack some of the things uh, that are hard. Um, and, and then I think you have to kind of establish the culture that you want for your household. Um, I think that's an important thing. Is that, you know you because it's one of the things that is hard to to kind of create. Um, you have to, you know, like I kind of was talking about where we're separating the sin from the sinner, so to speak, right? You know, this is, there's consequences over here. There's truth and there's grace, right? And that's the, that's the tension that's in my household all the time. I'm, uh, I love my wife. She's a truth speaker. I really, and, 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 and look, has been instrumental in my own growth because of that, because I grew up with um, uh, just pretty much the opposite. It wasn't a whole lot of truth, but it was really pillowy soft all the time. Didn't feel like you got a lot of um, pushback any times. Uh, so, so I say that in saying there's a healthy tension between the grace that I want to give and the truth that she wants to speak. And if we're operating together and we, we, we are loving each other well, and that can, the outflow of that can be a really good parenting experience for our kids because mm. now they're getting grace and they're getting truth and I'm speaking truth and she's speaking grace and we're and vice versa. And I think that that's where marriages can be really healthy is that when we begin to appreciate the thing that's probably the most frustrating about our spouse, um, that we begin to understand God's purpose in them. I think that's something to look for every day. It's like, what is God trying to do? Why did God give me this particular person? Um, the, the thing, because again, many times it's a thing we lack that they bring to the table. And so how does that play into the, to the growth that God wants to see in us? And so that's where I would say, you know, I think that it's a lot of times it's mindset. I think, I think you have to reframe um, your mindset. I mean, I think, you know, again, we all fail. I mean, we all have... Uh, struggles. I struggle. Um, I, I don't get it right every day. I, I blow my stack at the wrong moments when I'm just, you know, um, when I'm frustrated. But hopefully, in my better moments, I'm remembering the gift that is my wife, the gift that the, these kids are, and, and 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 really separating whatever that frustration is from them. And then in that moment, I can I can maybe have have the grace to be able to speak truth in a way that they can hear mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't come off as just pure correction or you're doing it wrong. It comes out as, hey, I love you. I'm, I'm going to love you every day of your life. But here's some things we got to work on together. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, man, well, I, you know, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. Um, without a doubt, I am a, I'm a better man um, because of our friendship. I'm a better husband and father. Um, and I just, you know, sharing your not only your story but being able to share your journey with you has been awesome for both of us or for me sorry i didn't mean to say both no for me definitely (laughs) um any any last minute things before we we sign off i just i mean i i i I have to say um having you know walked through you know nine years of your life i mean just watching god's hand um watching grow you watch who you are as a man watch you you step into your gifts, watch your heart play out uh, for men. I think that uh, your, your vulnerability with your own story and things like that. I just you know I marvel at it, man. I'm just every day I'm I'm just more and more convinced that God works miracles in all of us, right? I mean because you know who you were and who you are 
Um, I've watched that progression. Not that, you know, the guy you were was so bad, but he was different. And God couldn't use that guy the way he was. And God, but God got to you in just such an amazing way. And um, I've gotten this front row seat to see God's sovereign hand work in your life. And so, man, I just can't tell you how excited I am to just watch this continue and, and watch you grow and watch this podcast grow because I know that men need to hear it. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate all that you said and all that you do. And with that, I'd like to say thank you all for turning in um, into this episode of the Trailblazer. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned for more inspiring stories of men just like Glenn that are making a difference in this world and making a difference in their, their lives and their families. And remember that you too can be a trailblazer if you in your own way. Until next time, keep blazing those trails. This is William. Thank you.